The following is a conversation with Owen Dubeck. Owen is a film director, storyteller, traveler, surfer, and skier. In this episode, we discuss pushing the limits, surfing big waves, head injuries, wave pools, localism, crazy travel stories, and more. Enjoy. just get right into it talk about a time where you feared for your life on a surf trip mm. let me think about it for, i was going over it with gasper last night like a few of our a few of our most memorable um like crazy surf days or dangerous surf days and i think well i think the one that comes to mind is like the day we surfed, or I surfed like the biggest waves I've ever surfed that day in Uluwatu. Um, basically, we woke up, um, you know, what, what is it called? I mean, when Uluwatu fully connects, it's like usually at the peak of the swell. And it was just like proper, like three, four times overhead. It was just massive. And like, I had been... Like 20 feet? Yeah, it was like 20 feet or more. It was like close to as big as it gets and I felt like for two years I had been dreaming of that day like when I was like commuting to work or I was like sitting at my desk and like super bored I was like envisioning this moment of like being able to ride one of those waves um because I had spent some time in Indonesia before and like had always kind of sat on the cliff and photographed on days like that but I was like I want to know what it feels like to be out there and um Woke up that morning. It looked epic. People were just starting to get out there, and I was like, "Fuck! I need to, I need to buy equipment." Um, <laughs> like I didn't, I didn't have anything. So I went to the like Rip Curl, like Padang store, bought a, uh, or I went to I went to Drifter, bought a vest, bought like one of those like little impact vests, and then on the cliff they were selling a new eight six Padillac Pizel. For six million rupiah, which is like five hundred dollars or under five hundred dollars, and it was like brand new. Like I don't know, the guy stole it or it's like a fourteen hundred dollar board, and it was just there for, you know, crazy price. So I scooped that up, and then by like eleven a.m., I was like all geared up, like kind of adrenaline out. Stood, I was standing in the cliff, like putting my leash on. Big wave leash. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I had I had a big wave leash with like the rip cord and yep. everything. Quick um, release. And with the quick release, and I'm down there, and in the cave, like all the tourists are like with their selfie sticks or like taking photos of each other, and this Australian guy walks up to me and he's like, "Mate, you about to paddle out?" And I was like, "Oh, I was like really trying to get in the zone and like calm down and just be like really centered and ready to you know take on what's in front of me." And this guy's kind of like in my face. He's like, you're going out there? Like, whatever. And I'm like, oh, yeah. And he's like, you're going to fucking die. <laughs> and I was like, shit. I was like, all right, man. I'm that's, gonna... that's not good. That's not what you want to hear before paddling out. No, no, no. It's not what you wanted to hear at all. And like, it didn't, it didn't really throw me off. I was just kind of like, whatever, man. And like, just kept, uh, kept focusing. Um, 
And yeah, the way it works at Uluwatu is you paddle out of the cave and then the current starts taking you across. It's a gnarly current. Yeah, it like sweeps pretty fast and you just want to try to get out there before it sweeps you out too much. And I think I got lucky. I timed it well in that I never got destroyed by a big set. Like I was never like super caught inside. I just had a couple I needed to duck under, but I got swept so far. And when the waves are big there, the current is insane. So I was probably like, I mean, Alejandro was filming on the cliff and he has an hour and 30 minutes of footage of me paddling continuously. It was an hour and a half paddle out? It was an hour and a half. (laughs) It wasn't like an hour and a half of paddling through whitewater. It was like, I was so far to the right that I, and the current was sweeping so hard that like I was, like if I took a break, I was just getting swept right back to where I was. I was like looking at the land and I was like, oh man, like I'm not making any progress. Um, So, but this was like my dream. Like I wanted this so badly. I've been thinking about this for so long. I just kept paddling and, you know, I did the thing that like from like, Surfing at first point, you kind of know if you paddle straight out to sea, you can avoid the conveyor belt of like a point break. But when the waves are that big, it's on a massive scale. So I went way out and across, made it out. And then it was like 20, 30 foot faces, just like ridiculous. Um, But I wasn't, I don't know. I guess you asked a time you were scared. And like once I had made it out, I wasn't scared at all. Did Did you get some good waves? No, I didn't get any waves. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was like, um, I was undergunned. I mean, the eight six Padillac, like I thought, you know, something like that can handle almost anything, and I felt like I just couldn't get into it in the way that I wanted to. And there were a few guys out there on like nine sixes, and like that probably would have helped a lot. Um, but no, I was out there for five hours. And like tried but just like couldn't get into it and it wasn't like I was coming close and pulling out or anything it was like it was like I wasn't even I was either about to get caught inside or wasn't able to get it you need some um, volume when paddling into those, those yeah beasts. yeah I mean I needed like a much bigger board and I hope this summer I can go on a day that's like a little smaller than that with that board if my board still exists there if <laughs> it's still like at the guy's house that I left it at um but no, at the end, I kind of put myself on the inside and was just like, fuck it. If I get hit by a wave, whatever, I just want to catch one. And there was one coming across and I tried to do a whitewater takeoff, like get hit by it. But when the waves that big, I just got slingshotted yeah. across and stood up for like a couple seconds and then just like ragdolled. Um, but I washed up. I couldn't, I missed the cave, which is like classic, like didn't even come close to making it in the cave. And I washed up at Thomas Beach, which is like a mile away near like Penang Penang. And I was like, when I stood on the, you know, when you get off a boat, you've been on a boat for like a day or so and you're like wobbly. Like I was in the water for so long, I felt wobbly. And I had no idea, I didn't really know where I was because I hadn't been to that beach before. And I walked up the cliff and then like Jesse, Alejandro, Gasper, like the whole squad is on their motorbikes just like honking their horns, like, yeah, like, let's go. <laughs> like, I didn't die at like Big Uluwatu. <laughs> they like picked me up and drove us back home. Do but, you think that gave you a confidence boost, just being able to paddle out there and do an hour and a half paddle out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was also like, 
It was also super humbling that I need to do a lot more to get to the point where I'm like comfortably surfing waves. I think everyone can like resonate with the feeling of when you paddle out in the biggest waves you've ever been in, even if it's like four or five foot waves, you like don't know how to catch them. You know what I'm talking about? You know when it's like, oh, I'm too far out or I'm too far in, like what is the timing? Like you just don't get it. And I thought I had come far enough with surfing, I would never feel that way really. And I totally felt that way. It was like, I just couldn't understand how everything was working. It was like a completely different sport to an extent. That's wild. Yeah, I'm excited. I want to do it. I want to keep trying though and like get there. What other big wave ambitions do you have? Um, when we were in uh, Europe, there were some. There was a secret there was spot. Some, yeah, there were some spots. So I think next next winter we're gonna give it a go over there. Like maybe get a jet ski and like try to um, see what we can do there. And then next season, definitely do like Toto Santos. Potentially, if Uluwatu is big enough this summer, I'm going for five weeks. It would be fun. But Maybe get a bigger gun this time. Yeah, I don't want to <laughs> buy a new surfboard. Like, you know? But yeah. Like, yeah, but most, most days at outside corner, if it's clean, a lot of the old guys on the cliff were like, oh, I'm not even paddling out. There's like all this side chop. And it was a messy day. It wasn't like perfect mm-hmm. groomed Uluwatu. So, yeah. So you did an hour and a half paddle out, constant paddling, fighting the current. The average weekend warrior surfer would just get smoked doing that. And I'm wondering, what kind of training were you doing up to this point? Were you just surfing every day? You just had really good endurance? For that, I was surfing every day. Um, and doing like the, the normal like breath hold training or whatever. Um, what kind of breath hold training? It was like, I do it with Amelia. I mean, it's it's just like the, um, the Wim Hof stuff. Okay. And then the yeah, but like really didn't know what I was doing at that point. I was like just getting into it. You know, like Amelia and I had done like Wim Hof breath holds and like a few things like that, and I was able to hold my breath for three and a half minutes at that point, which is not bad. But at a, know, at a, with an elevated heart rate or at a low heart rate. At a, at, a, at a resting heart rate. Got it. But, you know, to, like, really surf real big waves consistently, you have to be way higher than that. And that's something I'm going to be working towards, like, the next time I go out there. That's awesome. This was kind of just a send. Yeah. But, you know, it's a spot I had surfed a ton I was super familiar with, and it's not, you know, it's one where you need to be careful and know what you're doing, but you're not going to, like, it's not like a lot of people die there. How much did your surfing improve while you were living there in Bali? Um, well, do you remember the first year I lived there, freshman year of college? Twenty. I mean, summer of 2016. Yeah, summer of 2016, I was, I mean, it just completely changed. Like, you know, being in California, you can only, you only improve so much so fast. But then, like, living there and being thrown into, like, heavier waves every single i mean that summer was insane it was like six to eight foot every day at least for like the whole summer um so yeah just got a lot but felt like i was actually like connecting turns and flowing through transitions and feeling comfortable in bigger waves and yeah yeah i surfed like every day for 70 days the first time i lived there 
that's awesome. I was just like, like I want to get as good as possible. Crazy endurance. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, until like my body couldn't take it anymore, and then I was I was done. You were also working there, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I worked an internship for uh, AVB Media Asia. I basically applied for an internship at every um, like major surf destination around the world, like Nicaragua, like fucking like Indo, like. I was just like, all right, whoever accepts me as a 19, 18, 19 year old, I'll, I'll go. Yeah. This random, I wasn't even doing film at that point, but this random like production company in Bali was like, we need an intern. So I worked for them. Um, and I mean, honestly, like I didn't do anything. Like they, they didn't give me any work. I just sat in the office and they like, <laughs> like, I just watched Vice documentaries the whole summer. Oh my God. But it was like, yeah, in hindsight, it was a bit of an L. Like, I should have asked for four-day weeks or something. I was working there 8 to 5 p.m. Just doing nothing. Doing nothing on the dot, nine, uh, Monday through Friday. And, like, I, yeah. And so I would surf from, like, 6.45 to, like, 7.42, like, on the dot, and then book it to work. Like, I only had, like, an hour or so. Like, I didn't have that much time to surf every day. Um, but... Yeah, when you're 19, you don't know to ask the company for like. Yeah, yeah. You don't. You're not like. It's a good lesson. You don't have a stronghold on what you're capable of getting. You didn't do much, much real work for the company, but is there anything that working in Bali revealed to you about the culture or the lifestyle over there that maybe just someone who just goes there to surf wouldn't necessarily be exposed to? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I got to experience a bunch of cool cultural events. I don't think stylistically, like, life there is that, like, crazy different. But it was, like, I got to celebrate all the holidays with the people that I worked with. Um, I got to watch my boss struggle through, like, Ramadan. She would take, like, a five-hour nap at work every day because you couldn't eat from mm -hmm. sunup to sundown. Yeah. So she would just sit. And I, I hope she doesn't hear that. I don't think she'll hear this, but... Um, she would just go to the edit room where it was like no windows and pitch black and just sleep the whole day. <laughs> and then meanwhile, there was uh, one of the cinematographers. I saw him do a 14 hour shoot day. Like we went to multiple waterfalls, like hiking up and down, like filming this commercial and stuff like that. And he didn't eat food or water the whole day. 95 degree heat, 14 hour shoot day. Like anyone who works in production knows like, that's a gnarly day and he would take like micro naps he was doing like 20 to 30 minute like five of those micro naps like a day what a tank yeah yeah he was like completely powering through um but yeah yeah that was crazy but yeah culturally like you know they showed me the best food places and we had a lot i ate a lot of like weird things and like stuff like that was fun what kind of weird things like chicken feet okay like yeah i mean like you could eat that stuff here too but like yeah that's uh that's that's what it was like but yeah it was a great experience and honestly that was my first work experience in film like completely accidentally so that's awesome yeah. and that that kind of now look where you are yeah yeah <laughs> it kind of started things so have you ever had a dangerous or bizarre encounter with any locals or, or government officials in a foreign country while you've been surfing yeah 
I feel like a ton. I feel like I feel like when you first start surf travel, you go to like the famous spots. Mm-hmm. You go to like the longest wave in the world or the best this in the world. And that tends to be where the worst localism is. Like, I'd say, I mean, J-Bay, you know, J-Bay was ridiculous. Like, I got there the first day. It was just me and my friend and one local guy in the water. It was like sick waves, plenty to go through. And, you know, he's sitting on the inside and I'm like 50 feet out paddling like up to the top of the point. He wasn't even sitting at the top of the point. And once I cross past him to go a little farther up the point, just starts chewing me out. You know how many fucking years I've lived here? I'll rip your fucking head off. Like, this whole spiel. Three guys out. Yeah, yeah, three guys out. Like, my friend and him. Um, And he just needed it to be known that, like, you're not, you're like, I don't care where I sit on the point, you're under me. Um, So, J-Bay was pretty gnarly. But, like, honestly had a great time there anyways. Um, Panama was fucked. In Bocas del Toro, there's one spot that the locals kind of dominate. And, I mean, they were, like, getting physical with, like, some of the women in the lineup. Like... What do you mean? I mean, they were, like, like, you know, like, a girl would be on a wave, and they would drop in on them, and then turn into them, like, shoot their board at them. Oh, wow. And it was, like, they were actually... Like, it, it felt like they were actually trying to hurt people. And that was not cool. And how that, and they were basically saying no one can sit anywhere near the top of the point. But the way the break worked, if you were sitting, you know, in position, it would suck you out to the top. So especially if you were like an intermediate surfer, really didn't know what you were doing, you would just get sucked to where people didn't want you to be. And then there would be an altercation. And it's like, I don't know. At that point, surfing's not fun. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, you got to respect people and whatever, but I feel like I've gotten a little smarter about where to, where to go, you know? Um, but yeah, other than that, I'm trying to think like, you know, mostly things in the water of people getting like people just not being cool. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of like the nature of, of surf travel. I'm sure you've had that. Surf travel, well. just surfing in general. I mean, there's a limited amount of resources there's a lot of people fighting for those resources and there's this weird hierarchy that Mm. kind of comes out of this it's usually based on skill but also who was born there who maybe is the best fighter i can't really think of another sport or activity that is so primal in that sense Mm. and i think it has to do with the with the resource issue what, that there's not enough waves to go around right. for people? There's a yeah. philosopher, Hobbes, talks about a state of nature where there's no rules. Everyone's fighting for resources, and life is nasty, short, and brutish. And yeah. that kind of describes, uh, I can describe some of my experiences on waves, nasty, short, and brutish. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No, totally, because, like, you know, when you think about it, if you're out in, like, the mental eyes and there are four guys out, you know, you become buddies with everyone in the water. You trade waves. Like, even if you hadn't met them before, they're, like, calling you onto waves and you take turns. And it's, like, when it's crowded and everyone's kind of anonymous, like, it just, it creates a fairly bad, bad situation, um, which is interesting. It'll be interesting to see if wave pools make it so that 
it's less crowded or more crowded. Um, that is but... really interesting. There's no really fighting for resources in the wave pool um, because there's a system that you have to follow. You know, you have first, second, third, fourth person, and if someone misses it, you can take it. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious to see this this next generation that might be learning how to surf in the Midwest at some wave pool, and they rip. Yeah. And then they go to the ocean, and mm-hmm. there's there's no rules, yeah, so to speak. It's harder, and it's, yeah, the dynamics are completely different. I think it'll be interesting, like, I feel like eventually at a place like Pipeline, there needs to be some sort of, like, regulatory thing of who can go in the water, you know? It's, it's just dangerous to have, like, it seems, I mean, I haven't been there, but it seems insane to have, like, 200 guys in the water, and it's, like, a deadly place. I think you know? the majority of those 200 guys are serious, legit surfers. What, even if they're not from there, they're, they're good surfers. It seems like the lifeguards do a good job. They can just tell based on how someone's holding their board or mm. walking whether or not they belong there. There's this really funny video. Oh, with the two guys with yeah. the foam boards? Yeah. Like, where are you going? And they're like, pipeline. <laughs> and the lifeguard's like, oh, you think you're ready for pipeline? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's ridiculous. That's kind of the the extreme example of the of hierarchies and pecking orders. And it's not all about who's the best surfer there. I mean, that that's mm-hmm. like almost a prerequisite to be good. Mm-hmm. Um, at my local break... At uppers, it mostly has to do with who surfs there every day. And on days when it's crowded and, and, and you, you can't even find the people that surf there every day, it, it just it just devolves into chaos. Totally. And, like, I've always found Topanga to be the most interesting, one of the most interesting lineups I've ever been in. Like, I've always wanted to make a film about it or do something around it. Because it's, like, a place where, like, rules don't exist. And that doesn't happen anywhere else in the world. If you think about it, like, you know, if you are screaming at someone or you're making an ass of yourself or you're being racist or you're like doing, or you're like screaming at a kid or something like that, everyone today is going to pull out their phone, go on Instagram live. You're going to be million views in a second. You're going to get canceled. You're going to get canceled. You're going to get fired from your job. Like, this is just like how the cycle works. This is just how like today works. But in the water... There's no risk of that. There's no risk of... There's the, almost no risk. You may yeah. have some guy with a GoPro, but that's yeah. pretty rare. But also, like, you know, if you're at a bar and you get in a fight with someone and you punch them in the face, like, you might get arrested. You might go to... Like, you might get arrested. In the water, like, you just don't, you know? Like, it's this place where things are allowed, and in certain communities, it just manifests in the worst way. And I've found that to be the case at Topanga, like, especially on the weekends. It's like, it doesn't even matter if you're doing anything wrong or not. Like, there's going to be something. It's just like a melting pot of anarchy. tension. Yeah. It's anarchy. Yeah. And you just strong arm people. Yeah. It's assert dominance in the lineup. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, <clears throat> it's a fascinating place. Um, but it'll be interesting to see, you know, as more people pick up surfing, is it going to, what's going to happen? Like, I think something will need to something will need to change. I wonder if wave pools will become kind of the place where your weekend warriors kind of go, the ones that can afford it. Because mm-hmm. I don't see 
any way to regulate a lineup without having, I don't know, like a safety officer on a paddleboard or something. Yeah, ridiculous. yeah. All the you solutions know, sound terrible. They're, they're terrible and they like... Or you need to buy so, like a lift ticket like you're skiing. You, like. Yeah, but you... These are these are resources available to everyone, so you can't charge for entry. I mean, if there's like a like a tow service, they can charge to get for you, for you to get towed in. Mm-hmm. Like in, in ski resorts, many of them lease the land from the government, and all they're charging you for is access to the lifts. But you can still hike up the mountain and ski down right, it right. without a lift. Which um, some of our friends do do. Which some of our friends do. <laughs> they and, take and, advantage of that. Yeah. At, uh, <laughs> Our friends that have good jobs but are very cheap. Yeah. Harrison Chetson can and, often be found walking up the side of a groomed run in, what, somewhere in Washington. Or our friend Evan who decided to walk along a train track for like, I don't even know how yeah, long. Yeah, 26 miles 26 to Machu Picchu to not pay the $100 train ticket. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, real dirtbags, those guys. Yeah, I yeah, love yeah. it. I love yeah, it. The dirtbag was invented for them to, for them to sleep in. But yeah. Switching gears a little bit, as I've improved my surfing and have gotten more serious about it and started training, um, I've become really interested in learning how people deal with injuries and prevent injuries. Mm. And one type of injury that really terrifies me is injury to the head. Mm-hmm. And I know that you have a little experience with that. Yeah. So I've hit my head... I've hit my head a bunch of times. I had a concussion during soccer. I got elbowed in the head. And then I knocked myself out doing a backflip skiing at Wendell's. Everyone does that, though. Shout out to Wendell's most dangerous camp in the world. If you don't leave in an ambulance, you didn't go hard enough. Yeah, yeah. And they'll, they'll even say that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, Same with Woodward. Yeah. And then in Panama, I broke a surfboard clean over my head. Um, did that so knock you then, out? No, it didn't knock me out. Which is like, thank God. Yeah. Because I was I was the only person in the water, and Emilio was our friend Emilio was filming on the beach. Um, you no, just started because I would have just died if I got knocked out. You would have just started inhaling water. Yeah. No, it would have been water. terrible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I got a concussion then, and then I broke another surfboard over my head in Mexico. And I was just like, are you kidding me? Was that the Barra trip? Yeah. 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 I just like got hung up like by the rock. I jumped off the ledge and then it like the leash like whipped back and it just broke over my head. I like my head went through the rail and it's like. In the inside section, which is pretty heavy. Yeah. But it was like a three foot wave. It was just not even like a crazy wave. <laughs> it was just like it, I was like, it, it can you... happen in very small waves. Yeah, and I felt dizzy underwater in the same way I felt dizzy in Panama. And I was just like, "Are you fucking like? Are you kidding me? Like again?" Um, but no, it's kind of it's kind of scary, and I'm interested to see if more research comes out of it. Did you see that study that was like? A hundred percent of big wave surfers have CTE. The doctors were like, "You guys look like retired linemen." Yeah, on, a, on an NFL football team. That dude, that's that... scary. That's like, I want to get into that sport. You know, like yeah, I don't, but I don't want that. And even these small micro concussions that every surfer experiences, just falling off your board and sort of hitting your head. The the, the water slows your head down so much. 
and then your brain kind of slams against in, in a really small, almost unnoticeable way. But over time, that effect will compound. And research is only just beginning on this. And it seems like helmets are beginning to become more of a serious thing. It used to be kind of goofy. It looks like there's a lot of research and development. Yeah, but I heard the helmets are only effective for hitting your head on the reef. That's or the right. Water or something. Like, if you get whiplash, you get whiplash, you know? Wakeboarders like, figured this out decades ago. Um, at cable parks, wakeboarders will often wear helmets because there's rails and stuff. But if you wear a helmet while wakeboarding behind a boat and you hit your head, it makes it worse because it, the helmet increases the surface area of your head, hmm. which increases that deceleration effect so your head slams into the water and stops much sooner than it would if you were not wearing a helmet which mm. makes the brain injury worse and i think the best the best helmet tech that i've seen mm -hmm. so far are the helmets that are shaped in a way to help your head penetrate the water so you don't have that deceleration effect hmm. Wait, so do people not wear helmets if they go behind a boat? You don't wear a helmet works? behind a boat, yeah. Oh, It'll make it 10 times worse. Not to mention all the weird angles that you have on a helmet that can get snagged on the water and yeah, and, and I, twist your neck. I heard people, like, when they duck dive sometimes, like, the water will rush through and pull their head back. And yeah, yeah. It's like, I'm going to order a helmet for Indo this summer um, just because my two biggest injuries would have been prevented with a helmet. The helmet that Coe Rothman wears, that gladiator-looking thing, is really cool because it's mm. designed in a way to kind of help it move through the water. Mm -hmm. And it, it'll also definitely make a big difference against reef or a board. Nice. But yeah, the micro-concussion, there's, there's no prevent, prevention for that yet. Mm -hmm. um, and there's not much research on how right. harmful that is. But I feel like, and I feel like you feel the same way, like it must be similar to like, taking a small hit during football or something like that like it must be that like, small repeating your head yeah but luckily i feel like here in california like we're not taking big falls anymore you know like i feel like on a day like today like we surfed this morning like i kicked out of most waves yeah i didn't like tomahawk or and anything, those big you know? days are far and few between where it's really serious uh, maybe ocean beach or blacks yeah um but yeah I mean, if you're surfing over shallow reef, that's a whole different ball game when it mm. comes to hitting your head. Yeah, definitely. No, it's a. It'll be interesting to see. And like, I don't know if you saw. Do you know who Derek Dunphy is? Mm -hmm. He like lost some of his vision. I don't think he can drive anymore from you know brain related injuries, and that he wrote a book about it. I haven't read it yet, but it seems good. Um, but yeah, it just seems scary, and I hope like there's a there's a solution out there seems like using the brain in all sorts of ways, doing math puzzles, playing chess. I know you're really into chess. Oh, yeah. Um, just co heavy cognitive activities mm. um, have to be good. You know, just keeping those circuits fresh and hot mm -hmm. in your brain. Totally. Um, yeah, we are playing a lot of chess. Yeah. What's your rating? Uh, it's not that high. It's like... It's like <laughs> You have different ratings based on different times. The highest I've ever been is like 1350. Above a thousand is pretty good though. It's like yeah. crossover. Yeah, yeah. I was like, what's it going to take to be a grandmaster? And it was like, <laughs> quit your job and fucking for the next 12 
out 12 hours a day every day for the rest of your life you have to do like you have to train. even even so there's some four-year-old that's already started right right he's gonna scrape <laughs> same it. with yeah, surfing. Yeah. <laughs> same with surfing yeah no no shot but yeah how do you manage fear when you're surfing especially in these big waves i don't feel like i and maybe this is a disadvantage but i really don't feel um i really don't feel scared in big waves I feel like it's exhilarating and it's exciting and in a weird way peaceful, but I don't feel, I don't feel scared in big waves, um, which like maybe to some people sounds like bullshit, but like, I don't know. I don't know if it's because I put myself in that spot mentally so much. Like I'm always thinking about it, always watching videos about it. Like if that like desensitizes your sense of, uh, your sense of fear, but I don't know. You're also, you're not reckless when it comes, like you're, you're not, it's not like you're paddling out to Mavericks, you know, just one day where that could be a potentially deadly situation. I mean, just like that day you paddled out at Uluwatu, just, just to do it. Yeah. That's a good step forward. I feel like if you know, if you know what could go wrong and you have a vision for how this session is going to go, and kind of what it's going to be like or what it could be like. Know your limits. Yeah. And like, if you know, like I knew the spot really well. Like that. So it wasn't scary to me. I don't know. With like action sports, I don't, I don't know. I don't ever feel that sc- I feel like I get scared by other things. Like, yeah. So, so you don't have times when you're paddling out and you're like, I'm, I'm scared that I'm going to hit my head again in just some freak way. Like that, that's not something that kind of affects your confidence. Not really. That's great. I mean, it's not until, it's not until like there's a point where you feel like you might be fucked, where I felt scared. Like there was a moment in Indonesia on like one of the bigger days where I was standing in like ankle deep water on reef and there was like 12 foot white water coming at me. And I was just holding my board, just like, what? I didn't know what to do. Like, you know, like, just try not to get cheese grated on your face. But how? <laughs> like, how? You know, like, yeah. what are you going to do? Just cover do you your jump face. jump into it, and then you fall down into the reef? Do you hold on to the reef? Do you jump as hard into it as possible? Do you try to, like, ride your board into it? Like, that, that, that was a scary. I never feel it until, like, the moment where it's like, okay, things are not going right. And then but the, even the, then, the like, decision making becomes automatic. That's the cool yeah. thing about about being in those high risk situations. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like I've always had like a a cool demeanor um, in pressure situations. Like when I was younger, I loved. I was a pitcher, like in baseball, and I loved pitching because you got to be in these situations where the whole game depended on you. And it was like a critical situation and you had to like calm yourself and like pitch a strike or pitch an outside corner strike. And like, I love that feeling of like knowing that I can be calm in this situation and just like do what I have to do. And I feel the same way with surfing, you know, it's like, I feel fear when I don't know what I'm doing. The unknown. Yeah. Yeah. Like with my work sometimes, if I don't know what I'm doing and I'm on set or like if I have to ask a girl out and I don't know how it's gonna go and like that's fucking scary that's so scary but like surfing bigger waves is not not this registering in that way if that makes sense that's a cool framework I like that 
if you know what you're doing, there's really no reason to be scared. No. That's and like, that, that, you have to be careful pushing your limits in that sense. Yeah. You have to recognize that you were maybe born without an amygdala. <laughs> and you can compensate for that. Sometimes you got to ask your buddy, is this like a thing that's yeah. reasonable? And they'll maybe say yes, maybe say no. You know? So. Speaking of uh, absence of the amygdala. Yeah. Bodyboarding the wedge. Yeah. Oh, so that was probably my most dangerous situation. So that, at the wedge, I went backwards over the falls and landed on my back. In the sand. In the sand, or like in not much water in the sand. And then a guy made, an. it was the opening of his edit. There was like dramatic music and an Alan Watts quote about dying. And it's just me going backwards over the falls <laughs> on the boogie board. <laughs> and I was like, fuck. You gotta send that to me. Yeah. yeah Put ridiculous. it in the show notes. Yeah. But that was like, yeah. That was like a random day in the summer. I had a flight in like two hours and was like dawn patrolling at five in the morning. Got sucked over the falls trying to duck dive. Because duck diving on a bodyboard is way different apparently yeah. than on a surfboard. So I just got destroyed. What a wave. That- it's amazing more people don't get seriously, seriously injured there. I mean, they do. Pros do. Um, a few of the pros. photographers, too. One of the photographers, like, broke their neck recently there. I um, heard about that. And it's, like, scary. Yeah, it's super scary. But at the same time, I would love to spend more time there. And, you know, it's one of the few places in California where you can get a really unique shot of something, like, crazy happening in the, you know... I. We should go like this. this Let me know. Just kind of like, you know, even if we're not in the water, just like taking photos and stuff. We'll we'll throw a dirt bag with a board into the, into the, into the wave and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. We can call that guy (laughs) who jet skied into the jetty. Yeah. We're like, can you just kind of drive up again and throw it into the wave? The boards will be fine. (laughs) You, I don't know. (laughs) You've been a risk this whole time. Speaking of boards breaking. Yeah. Have you ever had that happen to you while traveling? I've only broken two boards in my life, like besides the head ones, mm-hmm. like just surfing. I've only snapped two boards and they were within like eight hours of each other. We were surfing this wave in Java in Indonesia. It was like me, the guy who owned the hotel and then like one other guy. And I was riding down the face and a step formed, like a ship stern step. And I tried to hop it and I dropped like four, I thought I dropped like two feet and like landed it, but it was like, I was at the bottom of the wave and then I just stopped and I was on my board, just stopped and then just got like destroyed by the wave. My yeah. board, board was in half and I was riding the hotel guys, one of the hotel guys' boards and I go back. And this session, everyone broke, the, there were five people surfing, four people broke their boards. Um, and I got back to the hotel, I'm like, dude, I'm so sorry, like, I broke this board, like, I'll, you know, pay for it, whatever. And he's like, oh, you don't have to pay for it. I'm like, okay. And he's like, um, he was like, he was like, dude, that was a fucked wave. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, I jumped he off. He understood. The, yeah, I was like, I jumped off that step, and there was like, it was like a two-foot step. He's like, dude, you fell like six feet. He's like, not a two-foot step. It was like. 10 foot wave and like halfway through it had to hop off this thing um but i did that and then later then next morning dawn patrol i duck dove got the board ripped out of me came up and it was in half 
Man. So it was like white water split in half. So do you usually not travel with boards? Usually. No, I usually travel with boards. Um, well, it's, I mean, Indonesia, you can always, I think I bought the boards there. Um, but everywhere else, it's always good to kind of bring your own boards. Um, but yeah, back in the day, we were just like trying to get the cheapest deal and, you know, just like dirt bagging it. Yeah. <laughs> Buying like the $80 board at the point. And right. Like seeing how long it'll last or something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, especially cause we have used surf here, like. Used Surf is the greatest board market in the world. Used board market in the world. Like, everywhere you go, it's like, oh, used, like, Pizel, like, $600 or something like that. Yeah. yeah. It's like, you can get whatever you want for, you know, 150 200 bucks. So, yeah. What about you? You've been tra- always traveling with your boards? Bef- part of the reason why I, I developed the dirt bag was... I was tired of having to decide whether or not to like bring a certain board with me. I've, I've had airlines break my boards before. Mm. I've had trips where I, I don't bring my board because I don't want to deal with the risk or paying for, for baggage fees only to have a, a board break. And then I arrive and I can't find a board that I'm 100% stoked on. Um, and I feel like that takes away from the session. But ever since the dirt bag, I've just I I bring as many boards as I can. Yeah, and um, I'm not just saying this because we're on the podcast, but like I feel way more comfortable using this bag than I do with. I mean, I used to have this like um, I don't even like an FCS bag or something, but it's like there's not much padding, and I would cut like uh, foam noodles. Yeah, I would cut yeah. the foam noodles, line the rails, tape the whole thing, throw all my clothes and sweatshirts in there, and. It's just like stressful. Um, yeah, the dirt bag, amazing piece of, of technology. Surf travel's stressful enough without dealing with bubble wrap and pool noodles and, and packing your boards um, effectively. I mean, if you can just eliminate that and just focus on the other things, to me, that's, that's a win. Yeah, and the racks. I remember I showed up at the airport in San Jose and it was way too expensive to get an SUV, so we got this tiny rental car. And we were like, fuck, we don't have any straps. Like, we have all these boards. And I was like, oh, damn, we don't have any straps. And then someone's like, are there straps on your board bag? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. I forgot about <laughs> yeah. that feature. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, like, and then I was like, wait, but I don't know if there's a rope. And then I opened the pocket, and then the rope, the, 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 straps. In the, the straps are in there. And then it held up not only... Um, our board bag but we pinned another mm-hmm. board bag under it and it got us you know six hour journey through central america so i was hyped on that that's that awesome sick. yeah something that we want to start doing and i don't know if it's possible but we're gonna we're gonna try to do it without getting in trouble is attaching a hidden camera and in, in one of our bags to see what exactly goes on behind the scenes mm. at the I, airport I like the idea of if a guy throws your bag, it like kind of snaps a photo of him. And yeah, posts it on the internet. Him. Yeah, <laughs> there's like a meme page for yeah. baggage handlers who abuse board surfboards. I mean, we we've gotten plenty of, of of footage from our customers of of them just filming out the airplane window. These baggage handlers sleeping on the bags or yeah. tossing them, dropping them, not knowing how to handle them. 
Um, so I, I wonder if behind the scenes it's even it's even crazier. I'm sure it is. Wait, how would you do the hidden camera? Where'd you put it? We'd um like we'd, or something. We'd probably buy um one of those spy cameras that are super small. Like you can cut up cut out a little hole and probably just install these at different angles around the bag and have them live streamed to to um to our computer phone. Well, what happened to the other guy who did that? I think there's like like the FAA and, and the airport security um, security agencies get just get weirded out by people wanting to video what happens at, in in um, mm-hmm. protected areas at airports. Yeah, um, which is why if we can live stream the footage, even if they confiscate the cameras, we still have the footage. <laughs> we still have the... That's gonna be ridiculous. <laughs> I have to do some more research in this, but I think that would be hilarious and awesome and insightful. Yeah. Maybe we can learn some things, <laughs> develop a bag that's really hard to, to, Under, to handle. Understand like the deeper, the deeper reasons why people throw bags. Also, if anyone is listening is, uh, is an airport baggage handler or knows an airport baggage handler, reach out. I'd love to talk to them. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to have a I, word. I have that. some questions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Public enemy number one for, for Dirtbag Radio. That's um, you do a lot of traveling, not only for surfing, but just in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're my age, you're, you're 25, and I don't know how many passports you've gone through because they've just been stamped out. But do you have any... Any advice for people wanting to get the best deals on airline tickets? Maybe credit cards, that makes sense. Oh, yeah. I mean, the credit card thing is the the number one thing. I basically get one or two free international tickets every year. Just based on your credit card purchases? I, I, yeah, credit card purchases, and I get a new credit card every year. It, Why do you get a new credit card every year? You get for the, the bonus? Yeah, so you get like a 70 to not If you keep tabs on it, it's like... Amex will offer like 70,000 bonus miles or 90,000 bonus miles if you sign up for this credit card. So once a year I do that, sign up, get the 70,000 miles, then spend, you know, however much money throughout the year and accumulate more points. And, you know, I just booked a trip to Indo for 60,000 miles and $40. And that was... $40 to go to Indo. $40 is like the taxes and fees or whatever. So... That's all because of the credit card fee, like the credit card sign-up bonus. And it's like all linked to Delta. And it's like, you know, I feel like most people work jobs and they're going on like one big trip a year, maybe two big trips a year. It like, it literally covers that. It's it's so smart. I think there's a common misconception that um, canceling a credit card hurts your right. um, credit. hurts your credit. From what I've read, that's a myth. It's as long as you're paying off your credit cards, you don't get penalized. So I just keep a card for a year and then cancel it and get, you know, pay it all off, cancel it, get a new one um, when the sign-up bonus is there. Also, like, you know, I started a company, like, we started a nonprofit in the, the FarmLink project, and in the early days, we were charging a bunch of stuff on our cards and getting reimbursed because we were still getting the company together. Right. And like, you know, if you charge, like, 20 grand on the credit card, like... That's pretty nice. It's like it's a lot you get of miles. double points, you get like 40,000 miles. So just like, or like if you're at an expensive dinner and you know, you know, you have confidence all your friends are going to pay you back, like put your card down and like 
you know, all those things do. That's hilarious. I remember it was only a couple years ago. Our friend group was just like extremely frugal Uh when it came to, to like paying for a meal. It was like, Everyone was putting down it to the penny, and no. Oh, well, you didn't have any money. Their, no one wanted <laughs> to put their card down, and then a couple of weeks ago, we're like fighting over who gets to to put the card down for the yeah, points. Yeah, that's well, a major inflection point. Dude, in college, I had like there was a semester where I had like a hundred and twenty dollars in my bank account. I was trying to rat it out as long as I could, <laughs> and I would get a bonsai bowl, and then Harrison would wait in the car, knowing I wouldn't finish the bonsai bowl, and then he would he would eat the rest of it. Every week that we came down here. Harrison would ask me for the wax I scraped off my board. Yes, yes, he was recycling wax. And then he smelt it down. (laughs) Remember when you had the blue wax surfboard? Yeah. Yeah. That was I don't even think that works. I think there's too much impurities in wax after you've surfed it. (laughs) No, I don't think it worked. But now we, you know, we have jobs. We We started businesses. We are adult, fully functioning We're paying taxes. We're paying taxes. Most of us. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Some of us evading. (laughs) But, That's a joke. We've come a long way. Yeah. Not, yeah. Not serious. (laughs) But, yeah. Any upcoming film projects that you're excited about that you'd like to share? Yeah. So, I'm shooting a ski mountaineering film um, this coming week with, uh, there's a guy... Michael Worth, who I was friends with in college, um, and he's skiing 31 of the 50, like, class Amer- classic American ski descents. Um, so we're going to do some backcountry stuff and shoot a film surrounding that. And then two of my films are premiering soon. So one is about a, uh, a mother of three and ex-felon who fights to overturn an unjust law so that she can provide for her family. So that's premiering in Telluride in late May. And then I have another film premiering in New York over the summer. Um, So that'll be cool. And then hopefully shoot a surf film um, in Indo. I've been super inspired by uh, this guy, the guy Ishka, who surfs Torn Martin's films that like, everyone in the surf world loves and i would love to shoot something in that kind of general style this summer um have you seen this have you, no. you haven't seen any of torn martin's videos Mm-mm. oh my god i mean it's just like a plus cinematography and like coloring and it's like a nice peaceful relaxing story all the time and torn martin's just like you know seven foot twin fin style of surfing yeah that's um, awesome I'll but i mean the, the shots are super beautiful it's really hard to make something that people want to watch for 20 minutes and this guy's made a bunch of them so it's really cool that's awesome go to instagram at owen Dubeck to keep up to date on these films they're awesome amazing owen dot com. thanks teddy <laughs>